The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. I want to talk with you today about the times in life when people seem big. At the times in life when the things that people say about you or have done or haven't done, they, they just seem to get bigger and bigger and, and it can become overwhelming the effect that other people have on us. We've been turning our eyes to God in this series in Isaiah chapter 40. If you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 40 with me. So far we've seen that when you need comfort, this almighty, all-powerful God, He's a God of comfort. Last week we saw that when you are weary... When you are weak, this all-powerful God is a God for the weary and the weak. We learned that as a good shepherd, he picks us up when we're weak. He carries us like lambs close to his heart. And this week, we see in Isaiah 40 that when people see big, God is God over people. When critics tear you down and loved ones fail you, when enemies intimidate you, when people use you, when authorities and others take advantage of you, God is still God over those people, as big, as intimidating as they might seem. And, and when the world seems out of control globally, or nationally, or locally, God is still God over people. In this last week, we've seen race tensions more aggravated than they've been in a long time, right? And maybe we're a little insulated from it here in Prescott. Um, but especially our friends living in the bigger cities, man, the racial tensions following this verdict out of Florida, it, it, it's, it's like... It's like everyone is trying so hard to stand up for themselves that they don't realize that they're stepping on everyone else. And we just see, we just see people acting out of fear, saying things out of fear, people being hurt. And your heart kind of breaks for everyone involved that they're so hurt. In that same scenario, plays out in each of our lives with different conflicts, you know, hundreds of times, thousands of times probably in our lifetime, that we get in a conflict with other people around us and, and we get hurt or they get hurt or we start to act out of fear or we're wronged or we wrong them and we get reactionary and, and, and as all that happens, people seem to get bigger and bigger. You can probably remember if you think back to elementary school, a word that was said to you or a name that you were called, some negative criticism that came at you from maybe a, a classmate or a sibling, maybe from a teacher or a coach. And here we are years later, for some of you a lot of years later since elementary, and, and chances are you probably still remember a situation or two where someone hurt you with their words. In a broken world, we hurt people and people hurt us 
And in the midst of that, people can just look bigger and bigger and bigger. Here's what God wants you to know today. To see God bigger and people smaller. What do I do? Two things. I anchor myself in his superiority, how much bigger he is. And if that was all there was to it, that wouldn't be a whole lot of comfort, right? But he's not only bigger than everything, he's also loving towards you. He also cares about the details of your life. As Jesus said, I think it was in Matthew 6, you don't have to worry so much about your life because he knows when every sparrow falls. He knows, he clothes the flowers of the field and he says, you're so much more valuable to me than a flower or a sparrow. And I know what's going on in your life and I care about you. And when people seem big, when circumstances seem big, we anchor ourselves by reminding ourselves, one, my Heavenly Father is big and powerful and strong, and He loves me, and He knows me, and He's going to take care of me. I don't know if you ever got into fights on the playground. I did. And when I was thinking back to, you know, elementary and purple things, and I, I remember it. Um, this other kid who I would, there was this year, I think it was fourth grade, it was third or fourth grade, and this other kid, he and I, we were both pastor's kids. <laughs> we were both troubled young people. And, and we, we were, you know, just these attention to private class clown kids. And, and, um, and, and he and I, he was a great above me, but we would have these brawls on the playground. We, there was this big um, play thing of tires that had been chained together that you could climb on. And we figured out that if we went behind that, the teachers couldn't see us. And, uh, and we had some pretty good throwdowns back there in the winters. And I remember, you know, in Michigan in the winter, um, sometimes you'd wear a, like a face mask uh, hat to keep you warm, and I'd put that on. <laughs> but, you know, we were probably like 70-pound kids, maybe 80-pound little scrappy kids. And what do you say when you're in, a, in a, a fight with another kid and it's really intimidating? Well, I would, you know, first pull my big brother card. I had three big brothers. So, you know, there's that. And then if things get really bad, you know, what do you say as a kid? A lot of kids, you know, well, my dad's stronger than your dad. And when you kind of picture it, you know, these little third graders who, when they're fighting with each other, I and mean, that seems like that's all there is in the world. But, you know, what if some, you know, 200-pound fit dad walks up? Well, all of a sudden, things are kind of put into perspective, right? It, and really, you know, it reminds me of this TV commercial that they played in the Olympics, where all these, um, these Olympians, they were getting their ankles wrapped and being interviewed, but they were all kids. They were all kids dressed as grown-ups, you know? doing media interviews and going, you know, skating out on the rink in front of all the cameras. And, and when I watched that commercial, I kind of thought, you know, we're, we're all just kids still, you know? This world's just like a big playground where we've all got these old bodies that are getting older and hairier and uglier, but inside, we're still all just these, these little kids and there's bullies and there's loners and and, and most of us, we just want to be loved, you know? We just want some friends and to be loved. But as we go through life, 
we, we reach out with little feelers and, and we get hurt. We get let down. People seem bigger and bigger the more they hurt us. And our Heavenly Father says in those moments, look to me, look at how big I am. And, and remember, you know, all the other kids around you, I, I'm a lot bigger, I'm a lot stronger, and I'm looking out for you and I'll take care of you. So let me read you a few verses here from Isaiah 40. Let's just look to our Heavenly Father, see how big he is. Verse 5 tells us this, The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. Now, the Israelites, they were in, you know, worse than a playground fight. They were surrounded by hostile nations here in Isaiah 40, and, and that was their setting. And so God is saying to them, and you're going to see this theme in these verses, the people around you, they might seem big and intimidating to you, but I'm a lot bigger, so lift your eyes to me, and in verse 5, he tells us, you know, do you realize the day is coming when every knee is going to bow, when every tongue is going to confess that your Savior who loves you, every created being is going to fall on their face in worship to him. Verse 6, a voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people, no exceptions. No matter how strong they are, how powerful they are, all people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's look now at verses 15 and 17. How big is this God of yours? 15 says, Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Verse 17, before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. And now continuing the theme of how our God is bigger, look down at verse 26. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls each one by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. When we read Isaiah 40, we get this, this dual theme of God's superiority and his love. And when it comes to the people in your life and the way that you can get intimidated by them, and a lot of times we don't realize it. A lot of times we don't realize that, you know, the reason I spent 45 minutes in front of the mirror is because I fear people and I want them to like me. Or, or you know, the reason I bought that or the reason I did that is I, I want people's approval. We, we all do this, okay? I don't feel like you're some, like, worst person if you do, because we, we all do this. We all look for our approval in other people. We look for our security, our value, and our identity in other people. There's this, this verse in the Gospels where it says that Jesus did not entrust himself to any man because he knew what was in man. Kind of a weird sounding verse, right? What it means is Jesus knew, you know, all people are going to let you down. And so you don't have to walk through life with this cynical, skeptical, or it's going to let me down, so I might as well not, you know, love anyone. 
No, but Jesus knew not to look for his identity, his security, his affirmation, not to look for those in people, because he knows what's in man, that there were sinners. So what did Jesus do? He found all of that in his heavenly Father. And because he was so secure in his heavenly Father, remember the gospel of Jesus is always getting away to pray with the Father? And when the disciples say, how do we pray? He says like this. Say, God, you're big. Hallowed be your name. That, that's the first thing I need every day to know that I'm going to be okay, to know that my Father is bigger. And then, and then God today, my life is about your kingdom. In other words, it's not about my kingdom. My goal today is to get everyone to like me. My goal is to advance your kingdom. And my life today is not about my will and my desires. It's about your desires. And because Jesus lived that way, it made him humble and gentle, loving and patient, and yet bold and powerful and confident. A combination of God's strength and God's love that we don't see in any other teacher in human history. Because Jesus was showing us the heart of God, and in the same way, every day when we connect with God and say, God, you're bigger today. Here's the things I'm facing, but God, you're bigger. And God, today, in these situations and these difficulties, I want to live for your kingdom and your purpose. When we do that, then the life of Christ through us makes us people who are loving and gracious, but also bold and confident. In other words, you could put it this way. God wants to, us to learn to see ourselves every day in relation to him more than to other people. Did you know that? You can learn to see yourself, to find your value every day. Am I valuable because I look good? Am I valuable because I have status? Am I valuable because of my achievements? All those things are saying my value depends on what other people think about me. The book of Proverbs says, the fear of man is a snare. All of us go down these paths of fearing man and trying to live for man through our accomplishments, through our looks, through acceptance. And it's a snare. You never get there. It's funny when you look at celebrities, you know. I mean, we think of some of these celebrities as like, wow, they've arrived. But you, you see some of the things that they say in interviews or that they tweet. And you realize, wow, they're still as insecure as they were in seventh grade, you know? That they, because they had the number one song for a month, now that their song's number three, they feel like they've totally fallen off. And they live their whole lives seeking this approval of man. And, and, and it's, it's a reflection of how most of us live. Proverbs says the fear of man is a snare. Jesus learned to live not for man's approval, but God's. And the Apostle Paul put it this way in one of my favorite verses, Galatians 1, verse 10. He says, if I were still living to please people, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul just simplifies all this complex life stuff. He just says, you know, it's really simple. Either you live to please people or you live to please Christ. And Paul says, you know, a long time ago, I left a lot of stuff and a lot of opportunity and comfort to serve Jesus. So I'm not going back now. I'm going to keep serving Jesus instead of people. This was one of my favorite verses in high school. And I remember as I was meditating on it, realizing that, you know, who people includes 
Me. I'm a person. So are you. So if I'm really going to radically say, Jesus, my life isn't about pleasing people, it's about pleasing you, then that also means my life isn't about pleasing myself. My life's not about how comfortable I can get. My life's not about what feels great to me. My life, as I follow Jesus and by his grace, as I grow in him, becomes a life, like Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And, and you'd think with a verse like that, if I were still living to please people, I would be a servant of Christ. You'd think that Paul would have left a legacy of just broken relationships, right? He would have just bulldozed people and, well, I'm serving Christ, I don't care what you all think. But that's not what it looks like if you're actually serving Christ. When, you're, when you actually are connecting with your Father and from His Word saying, who am I? Who are the people around me? You start to realize, you know, my God is bigger. And everyone around me, they're a lot smaller than I thought. And I don't have to fear them. But they're infinitely valuable. Just because God is bigger and you don't live in fear of people doesn't mean they're not valuable. They're still valuable. They're so valuable that Jesus died for them. So as, as you grow in, in this spiritual skill that Paul and Jesus have, you start to live a life that is even more loving and serving towards others than when you were trying to get their approval. But now you're not doing it for their approval. You're doing it for Christ's approval. And then when you pour out your life for them and they stab you in the back, it still hurts. But your world doesn't collapse because you, you weren't actually doing it for them in the first place. If I were still living to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Three things God is bigger than today. First, God is bigger than my conflicts and my critics. Do you have any conflict in your life? Do you have any critics in your life? Here in Isaiah 40, God's people, they're in major conflict. Part of it, because they've made some terrible choices, they've worshipped idols, and now they're surrounded by enemies. But in verse 5, God assures them, he still loves them. He's still looking out for them. And he says, all these enemies around you that you're afraid of, the glory of the Lord, it will be revealed. The day is coming when they're going to see how big God is. And God is on your side. You might, you might put it this way in today's terms. Tune out your critics and tune into the God who is over people. When you have critics in your life, and, and if you're like me, I mean, there's seasons where there's no critics, and then there's seasons where there's a lot of critics, it kind of ebbs and flows, right? When there's criticism in your life, you know, tune it out. Now, obviously, if it's like godly friends who are all saying, hey, you've got a sin problem, that's a little different, okay? But, but if it's people just being mean to you, I've learned when I write these uh, articles for the Washington Post and CNN, I don't read any of the comments below. Because I've learned, I mean, there will be literally thousands of comments, and there's just nasty, mean people out there. And I learned after probably the second one I wrote, just, just don't read any of the comments. Because I didn't write it to please people. I wrote it because I believed it was what God wanted communicated. I thought it was the heart of God, and I'm imperfect, but I'm doing my best to communicate that. So really, what they all think about it, you know, that, that's okay either way. I'm... I'm 
I'm living my life for Jesus. And, and it's the same for you in, in your workplace, in your home. If your motivation is, God, I'm, I'm in this for you, then even when the critics come, you, you, can, you can tune them out. And the flip side of that is also sometimes when people come and give you praise and affirmation, you've got to tune that out too. If you start to, when everyone is cheering you on, you start to say, oh, that feels kind of good. I'm going to live for that. Well, pretty soon you're going you're to be really disappointed. Because people aren't always going to praise you. They're not always going to like you. And that's okay. Because you're not here to live for them. You're here to live for Christ. God's bigger than your conflicts. He's bigger than your critics. You realize the day is coming when all mankind will bow down to your Savior. Scripture says all people, whether they were believers or not, Romans 14, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess. Now, some people are going to be bowing from heaven, and some people are going to be bowing from a place of great suffering because they rejected Christ, but everyone's going to bow to Jesus. Alexander the Great, Every Pharaoh, Ernest Hemingway, Oprah Winfrey, Shaquille O'Neal, all of us, we're all going to bow down and say, worthy is the Lamb. Revelation 5.13, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. We know how the story ends. No matter what conflict or criticism or trouble we run into in this life, we know how the story ends. The God who we worship, who shouldn't love us but does love us. He's going to be on the throne, and every living creature is going to be bowing on their face before him, praising him. All mankind will see God lifted high. And even the strongest people, we're told in verse 6, they will fade like the grass, like the flowers of the field. Our yard right now, we, we have um, what we call natural landscaping, which is no landscaping. And, uh, but our, our yard's pretty flat, and, and we're in kind of a, uh, a tree area, and so it's just all weeds. But right now, because of all this rain, we just mowed all the weeds, and they all look so green. It looks like we have this, like, rich green grass. But it's, it's just weeds, that's all it is. And, like, two months from now, it'll all be brown. But right now, it's really pretty. It's seasonal, very temporary. And God says, all men, all mankind, no matter how powerful they are in their short 60 or 80 years, they're like the flowers of the field. They're like the grass. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. Contrast that with God's words that he speaks. In Revelation, we're told uh, after Christ returns that the earth will melt. He, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. So, so think about that. All of the accomplishments of all mankind for all of human history, all the infrastructure, every skyscraper, every pyramid, 
everything that all humans have built, gone. But just the words that God speaks will still be there. We fade away. Mankind fades away. But God's words, he's that much bigger. He's that much more powerful. God's bigger than your conflicts and your critics. And so I've got a question for you there. Whose words have you been looking to for value? Whose words have you been looking to for affirmation? The, the disposable words of people around you? Or the eternal word of God? God's bigger than my conflicts. Next, God is bigger than my feelings. God's bigger than my feelings. Here in Isaiah 40, God's people, they felt trapped. They felt weak. They were literally surrounded by an enemy that was their surroundings. And so God says to them in verse 15, he says, you, you see those armies around you? You see how big and powerful they look? Here's what they look like to me. They're like a, a drop in a bucket. They're like the dust. It's like I, I go to use my scale and there's a little bit of dust on there and I need to blow it off. That's what all these powerful nations look like to Almighty God. They're, verse 22, he says they're grasshoppers. I remember... You know, I grew up in a city about the size of Prescott, and I remember um, in college I was on a mission trip in England, and I was in London, and I was on foot, and I got to this kind of busy city center of the metropolis where everyone was just, you know, flowing in and out like ants. And, and I remember just standing there and thinking, wow, that's a lot of people. And you see, you know, photos of, of protesters in Egypt or even big gatherings here in the United States. And, and you start to realize, okay, that's 200,000 people and there's 300 million in America. My eyes aren't even big enough to see the nations. But God not only sees them, he knows everyone. And, and he's so big that if he wants, he can see them like grasshoppers, like a drop in a bucket. The surrounding nations seemed so big to Israel, and God reminds them, he says, I'm far superior. I wonder who seems big to you right now? Whose influence or opinion seems really intimidating or inescapable? You know, I just can't outlive that mistake because of the, the way those people feel. I, you know, the, everywhere I go, there's this, this thing follows me. Well, you're intimidated by the, the people involved in that situation. Take a moment to remind yourself that no matter how powerful that person or that situation, to God, it is, verse 22, a grasshopper. These people are grasshoppers. Your heavenly Father, you don't have to be afraid of them. Your heavenly Father, He knows you. Verse twenty-seven. He loves you. Verse eleven. He comforts you. Verse one. He forgives you. Verse two. And He strengthens you. Verse thirty-one. So learn to see yourself in relationship to Him, 
and the people around you. You still love them. You still be Christ to them. But they get a little bit smaller, hopefully in a healthy way. When you get intimidated or discouraged, act on this promise. James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know, when you take a basic art class, you learn perspective that when something's far away, it gets smaller and smaller, right? I mean, if, if I, if my thumb was right over your eye, it would look like it was, you know, like a skyscraper, right? But from back there, it's pretty small, right? Because it is pretty small. I've got skinny fingers. It's the same way with God. When he's far away, you start to think he's smaller than he is. And God says, draw near to me. And I'll draw near to you. And when you draw near to God and you see how big God is, then all the problems and all the difficulties of life, they, they kind of shrink down. You can trust his plans no matter your surroundings. He's bigger than your feelings. He's bigger than what you see. Next, he's also bigger than your mistakes. That's bigger than your critics. It's bigger than your feelings. And he's bigger than your mistakes. In verse 26, God's going to tell the Israelites to look to the stars. Now, there's a reason that he does that. The Israelites had made a big mistake. They had worshipped false idols. And these idols, the gods of the time, were star gods. And, and because as the people of Israel, as their eyes drifted from their one true God to these false gods, the more they saw these false gods, the bigger they looked. False gods that, by the way, no one's worshiping today. But the one true God, billions of people are still worshiping today, okay? And, but the, as their eyes fixated on these false gods, the one true God seemed to shrink to them. They had made a mistake, the mistake of idolatry, one that we'll talk about in future weeks. But, you know, people seem especially big after we've made mistakes. Do you know that God's bigger than your mistakes? In the New Testament, it says that love covers over a multitude of sins. God's love covers a, a multitude of mistakes. The Old Testament tells us that you know, for those for those who trusted in Christ, that your your mistakes, they're buried in a sea of forgetfulness. In the ocean depths, they're as far as the east is from the west, and your mistakes don't have to define you. They would define you if you didn't have a heavenly father, but you have a heavenly father who has forgiven you and he's bigger than your mistakes. He's big enough to wash them away. He's bigger than your lies. He's bigger than your lust. He's bigger than the different ways that you've failed. And to the Israelites who had failed by fixating on these star gods, he says, let me ask you this question, verse 26. Who created all these? You know, your, your neighbors from Babylon, they've given you God names for every one of these stars that's up here. Who made these stars? Who brings out each one? Who calls them by name? It's because of his great power that they're up there in the sky every night. 
In other words, who or what have you been looking to to save you? Who or what have you been looking to for your security? Who or what have you been looking to? And because you've been looking so much at that thing, God has gotten smaller and smaller. Do you realize if you've been looking to some man for affirmation, who made that man? If you've been looking to some pleasure for satisfaction, who do you think created that? You've been looking to some material thing to bring you security. Who created matter? God's people had forgotten how superior he is because they had fixed their eyes on false gods. I wonder what person, power, or circumstance has reduced your view of God because you fixed your eyes on it. The Israelites at that time, astronomers think, could probably have seen about 5,000 stars. Well, we now know that there's 400 billion stars just in our galaxy. And billion's a number that we can't even get. But then our galaxy is one of a hundred and some billion galaxies. Each packed with stars like that. And God says, not only did I make all those stars, but I've got a name for each one of them. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them by name. Do you know what that means for you? It means in the shuffle of human history with the billions of people, God still sees you individually. He still knows you by name. And because of that, you can be confident that God is good and will never stop caring for you personally. Think about it. Before you were born, after your body breaks down and you've left this earth, there's stars up there that he sustains every moment. They're there every night. They're there every day. He sustains them. So he can sustain you. If he knows the stars by name, he knows you by name. To remind you when Jesus says, you know, don't, don't worry. Your heavenly father, he knows when every sparrow falls from the sky. He clothes the flowers of the field. Don't you know you're much more valuable than flowers and birds and stars? He's going to take care of you. Isaiah 43 tells us this. Your heavenly father says, fear not for I've redeemed you. There's, there's no mistake you can make that I can't pay for. I've called you by name. You can be confident he's not forgotten you. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overcome. Is there a situation or there's some waters you're passing through that today you need to remind yourself this difficulty is temporary. My Heavenly Father is eternal. People around me, they mean well, but there are kids on the playground just like me. And I'm not going to look to them to pat me on the back and make me feel good. I'm going to, today, look to my Heavenly Father. I'm going to find my affirmation, my value, my security in Him. 
Would you stand and let me pray that over you, pray that with me if you will. Father, we are weak, but you are strong. We acknowledge today that we are small, but you are big. Lord, we, our hearts, they are often selfish, not loving towards others, but you are the source of love the source of all that is good and giving in the universe. And so, Heavenly Father, today we want to turn our eyes to you. And Lord, right now we just want to take a moment to turn our eyes away from specific things. Uh, Father, right now for folks in this room, for some that specific thing, it, it's a person in their life and and you've called them to love that person, and you're going to use them in that person's life, but, but that person has become so big in our eyes. And Father, we want to see you bigger. We want to live for your applause, for your approval. Like the Apostle Paul, we want to, we want to live out that verse that says, if I were still living to please men, I would not be the servant of Christ Jesus. We are your servants. We're not living for man's approval. We're not living for our own pleasure. We're living for yours. And so Jesus, like you did when you walked on this earth, every day we want to come to you, God, and say, Lord, today let your will be done in my life. Let your kingdom be coming through my life and in my life. Father, make us people who see ourselves in relationship to you. It's only then that we can have the love and the security that we need to love the people around us, to show them who you are. So Lord, make us your children today who live knowing that our Heavenly Father is near, that he is strong, and that he is loving. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.